Good afternoon, everyone. Hello there. Welcome to my August uh, construction defense uh, webinar. Uh, for those of you joining me for the very first time, my name is Tashia Rasul. I am a partner here at Lois Law Firm, where I defend workers' compensation claims that arise out of uh, construction accidents. I also oversee a team of attorneys and paralegals who handle only these kinds of cases. Uh, for those of you who have been uh, watching me for over a year and a half now, thank you for joining me every month um, and for making recommendations for others to come and join and see what I have to talk about. As you know, I try to focus on issues that are peculiar to uh, construction claims and in particular to uh, coordination between workers' compensation and general liability claims. I am also the author of the firm's uh, Construction Defense Handbook. It's a plain English manual for uh, risk managers, employers, insurance carriers, um, detailing issues that we commonly face in defending construction claims and also, again, coordination between uh, workers' compensation and general liability defense. So this month, we are going to talk about uh, the milestones that we should be focusing on in the workers' compensation claim and the general liability claim. And usually these milestones are the trigger for us saying, hey, we need to contact the other side. We need to have a call. We need to come up with strategies to see how we're going to either use these milestones in our to, to our advantage or uh, if, if it's not good news, see how we can you know dis dispel any of the, the bad news and still uh, come up with a strategy for defending the claims jointly. So to begin with, and I'll try to make this uh, easy and pain, painless and go through it a little quickly so that you understand uh, some of the basic workers' comp milestones and the general liability milestones. Um, I'll give some examples of strategies towards the end. And just a reminder, this is a live webinar, so you can uh, type in your questions in the end. And if we have time, I will answer them. The box to type in the questions uh, look like this. They'll pop up in my end, hopefully, and I'll provide you with an answer. If, uh, if I do not get to your question or if you think of something uh, after the webinar is over, please feel free to send me an email or give me a call and we can talk about it. All right, let's get into it. So what are the importance of the milestones? Now, in addition to coordination between workers' compensation and the GL claims, they're important because we know where exactly the case is, what's going to happen next. Uh, we're able to predict how things are going to go, depending not only on the milestone, but the jurisdiction that your claim's in, how the milestone could particular. Uh, could, could be affected or, um, uh, you know, how things are going to play out depending on the judge that's going to handle the case or the adversary that, that we're up against. So um, in the workers' compensation claims, decisions have to be made much, much more quickly than in the general liability claim. The milestones involve typically any type of development or discovery, whether it be the claimant filing a medical um, an IME report, the claimant undergoing a surgery, the claimant claiming a consequential injury, uh, or a settlement demand, or, or um, uh, we have surveillance showing that the claimant is doing activities inconsistent with what he's telling the doctors. Those are all different kinds of milestones, and we'll go into a little more detail. 
the development or the discovery can be used with the other claim, and that's why it's important that we focus on these milestones. Um, the best practice that we've seen the most success with is you should assign your GL counsel and uh, workers' comp counsel from the very first day you have notice of a claim or a potential claim. The reason for this is uh, the parties can come together, we can have a conversation about what we expect, uh, how the claim to go, and um, the investigation that we would need to start up the claim. And we recommend investigation in claims that are accepted as well as those that are denied. Workers' compensation milestones. So let's go through some of the most important ones. Determination of compensability. This is one that has to be made immediately. Um, if you're going to, uh, if, if you receive notice of a, an accident or an alleged accident, we should also be looking out for notice. The, uh, the claimant uh, should be providing written notice to the employer within 30 days. This is an issue we see all the time where the claimant does not provide sufficient notice and or, or notice at all within 30 days, and this is the basis to deny the claim. For accepted claims, and it's important to know this because you have to make a decision with regards to payments if you are going to accept the claim um, in, in, in a very short period of time. So what is called the 1810 rule per uh, workers' compensation law section 25, the payments must be made within 18 days of lost time or 10 days after the employer has knowledge of the, of, of the loss. Um, so it, it has to be done in less than uh, th three weeks. It's very quick. You must make the decision um, very quickly. For the denied claims, now these are more time sensitive. They must be denied within 25 days of the notice of indexing, which is the EC84. And if there's no EC84, you have a little more time to issue the denial. However, um, if you don't file a FROI-04 or a SROI-04, the board's going to start issuing notices for the carrier to file uh, a FROI or a SROI-00 or 01 indicating the acceptance and to file all the documents such as the C-240 and the C-11. Now, there is no timeline for the board to file an EC-84. Um, sometimes, I've, I've seen cases where there's no EC-84 in the in, in the board file. Months can go by and there's no EC84, which is good for us, right? It means that we have more time to file the claim. Then there are other times where the board files the EC84 against a different carrier. That also works in our favor because it was indexed against you or your, your client, your carrier. So that also works in your favor. But regardless, we should be keeping an eye out for the EC84 and your denial documents need to get in within 25 days of the EC84. If not, you could be found to have waived defenses, a really important, um, it, it's something that the board really uh, cracks down on, the adversaries raise it, the judge would even raise it without any uh, parties saying anything about it. And the adversaries are always looking for this opportunity because once your defenses are uh, waived, then it's easier for the claim to be established. Okay. The pre-hearing conference. So the pre-hearing conference is uh, scheduled by the board when a medical report has been submitted. 
if there's no medical report submitted, the board would not schedule a pre-hearing uh, conference. So you can get all your denials in, the claimant can have a C3 in, there could be um, you know, your C240, your C11, but if there's not a, uh, um, a medical submitted, then the board would not submit a pre-hearing conference uh, for the parties to come in and address all of the issues that they have outstanding. Now, there also has to be that denial in the board file, and it has to be a FROIA 4 or a SROIA 4 to trigger that the claim is being denied. And then the medicals, in addition to that, is what is going to trigger the board to schedule the pre-hearing conference. Generally, the claimant does not need to request that the pre-hearing conference is scheduled. This is another thing that the board is usually on top of. As soon as they get the medical, it's sent to the, um, the examiner for them to review the file, and then the hearing is set. At the pre-hearing conference, what happens? So just, just so you know how quickly this could happen. So if the, if the claim happens, if the accident happens today, and the claimant goes to the doctor or the hospital today, and those medicals are submitted to the board file, you have your denial, and we can get a pre-hearing conference in a matter of a month or so. That's how quickly it happens, even before the claim is indexed, um, even before anything else is filed with the board we can have a pre-hearing conference. So that's something to keep in mind how quickly it happens. And the other thing is the issues that are addressed at the pre-hearing conference and the fact that it's set for a trial when you get to that hearing, it's important to start teeing up your claim from the very beginning. That is doing your investigation, um, uh, speaking with both your workers' comp and GL defense counsel. Now the reason why it's important to assign counsel from the very first day. Um, and, you know, coming up with strategies, especially knowing who your adversary is or who the judge is, getting all of the information, getting the, the, the investigation results, doing any surveillance, getting any surveillance from the buildings where the accident happened, getting the policies if there's a coverage issue. It's important that we have all of this information for the pre-hearing conference. Otherwise, we could be precluded from producing a witness, from precluding, uh, precluded from producing maybe surveillance if we don't raise the issue timely, and then it's set for a trial. Now, the expedited rules uh, indicate that the trial must be set within 90 days, but even now, if the judges refuse to remove it from the expedited calendar, we're getting trials like three months out. It, it, it's kind of unreal, they still call it expedited, but be, be wary that even though they're setting the trials three months out, they're still trying to say, get your, uh, get your IME within 27 days or maybe 30 days, depending on the judge, and complete your depositions within 55 days. Regardless, your attorney should be requesting that your claim as a construction claim be removed from the expedited calendar from the very first day from the pre-hearing conference. Um, the reason is the complexity of the claim, uh, the changing nature, nature of the job site. We may not be able to complete the investigation right away. A lot of time there's a wrap-up involved. We need to determine who the proper carrier is or if the uh, contractor is actually enrolled. Um, we, need to, we need to get all of this information, and it's hard sometimes to get the information and then go to trial 30 days from the pre-hearing conference. Oh, the other thing is we need to subpoena records, right? We need to get the ISO, the medical canvas, get the prior records, and have the IME doctor review them. So you should always be requesting that your attorney make an application to have the, the claim be removed from the expedited calendar, because there's no way we're getting an IME in 27 days. The IMEs are booked up. We don't have the records. 
um, it, it really is a prejudice to the employer and insurance carrier to, to have to get the IME within 27 days. Um, <clears throat> something to note with regard to the pre-hearing conference, uh, your attorney or the parties must uh, file a PH 16.2 10 days before the pre-hearing conference. In the PH 16.2, we're listing all of our uh, defenses. We generally raise all of them protectively. If you don't raise them, you run the risk of losing them. There's no harm in raising more than you're actually um, going to pursue. Um, statutory and case citations, we believe that uh, your P at 16.2, you can file an initial one that's very general, but as you get more information as the hearing's coming up, there's no issue in amending it to include specifics. The more case law you have in the very beginning to make your arguments before the judge as to why the claim is fraudulent or should be disallowed, you have started creating a picture for the judge to, um, you, you know, make a decision. He's not going to make a decision at the pre-hearing conference, but listen, let's start throwing all of those things against the wall. The other thing is for the coverage issues, those can go on for months and months and months and I have a couple of them that have been going on for years because the proper employers and carriers are not being placed in notice, the parties aren't producing their policies, and coverage has to be addressed before the underlying issues are addressed. So, you know, this uh, th this is another reason we should get the policy by the time the pre-hearing conference rolls around. We should also be uh, teeing up all of our lay witnesses. They must be listed in the pre-hearing conference statements. Um, if you don't list them there, the claimant's attorney or even the judge can say, well, you're precluded from producing them. Um, so, again, this goes back to why the investigation is important because sometimes we have just a few weeks to get our pre-hearing conference statement in and to get all of those witnesses to produce to the law judge or to provide their names to the law judge at the pre-hearing conference. So it's very, very important that we pay attention to when the pre-hearing conference is scheduled and subsequently when the trial is scheduled. All right, so let's go through a number of other milestones. And this is, except for the coverage cases, we see this in almost every other workers' compensation claim. We have the IME report. Anytime we get an IME report, we should be calling up GL counsel saying, well, this was a great IME, or, oh man, I think the IME forgot who was paying us. We need to get an addendum. We need to send in videos, we need to take the claimant's testimony, anything we can do to try to really fix our IME. Unfortunately, it happens, right? We do have great IMEs, we always have a list of good ones that we recommend to our clients, but once in a while, not sure what happens. But this is why we need to be proactive, not wait until the hearing. As soon as we get the report, review it, uh, see what's going on in the case, and talk to your GL counsel about it. Surgery request and approval. Um, more and more uh, claimants are getting surgeries early on in the claim, even without conservative treatment being completed. So we have to keep an eye out when the, when the requests are coming in. And we've seen more and more claimants, doctors are submitting requests for treatments that are technically pre-authorized, but that works in favor for us because it gives us the opportunity to get an IME to comment on it and to support a position that the claimant's uh, doctor hasn't met the burden of proof, it's not medically necessary, it's not causally related. And then we litigate the issue. 
But as I'm sure you know, adding surgeries to the claim is really to increase not only the value of the workers' comp claim, but more so the general liability claim. You know, we've been seeing a lot of uh, back and neck fusions and uh, the traumatic brain injuries or the head issues, even when there was no impact in the head in an accident. Yeah, go figure. Uh, medical depositions um, for the issues of causal relationship or the surgery or degree of disability. We usually take the doctor's testimony, both the IME and the claimant's doctors. When those are being set or when those are completed, you should be sharing them with your general liability counsel because a lot of times there is a disconnect between, or I wouldn't say disconnect, but the doctors on the workers' compensation side and the general liability side are finding different things or, or you know, are being told different things about the claimant's condition. So it's nice to have those to compare and potentially see where there are inconsistencies so we can tee up the claim for fraud also. Claimant's testimony, something we've been doing more and more even when a claim is accepted. Take the claimant's testimony on the very first day of the very first hearing, even if it's brief and mechanism of injury. The reason is sometimes these claims, legitimate claims are filed for let's say a wrist injury or a knee injury and then the claimant gets an attorney and all of a sudden it becomes a full body injury, right? Uh, a, a full body claim, I'm sorry, and they're claiming uh, the back and the neck which adds value and then something with the head which also adds a lot of value to the claim. So by having the claimant's testimony at the very first hearing, let them testify as to what the mechanism of injury is. This can actually be very helpful in contesting uh, not only additional body parts, but also the need for treatment. Because if he testifies to a mechanism of injury that, you know, supports merely a contusion, then where's the surgery coming from and where are the other body parts coming from? So sometimes the judges push back, sometimes the adversaries push back saying, well, it's an accepted claim. You, you, you supposedly did your investigation. That's why you're accepting the claim. Why do you need to take the claimant's testimony? But under the law, we can take the claimant's testimony regarding mechanism of injury, work status, pretty much anything that's related to the case anytime we want to. And my response to the judge usually is, well, judge, we know that an accident happened. But we need to know what exactly happened as the claimant is claiming X number of body parts and the carrier may be uh, accepting it for just one. Or judge, the claimant has only submitted one medical report and he supposedly went to the urgent care, the doctor, and the date of loss. So we need to know what exactly happened. Those are ways to get the judge to agree to taking the claimant's testimony. And if not, an appeal, then you know, that's why appeals are made. We should never be denied the right to take the claimant's testimony on what happens, especially since we're paying for it, pretty much. Uh, suspension of benefits. Uh, benefits can be suspended if the claimant returns to work, uh, labor market attachments, if there's a finding of fraud, or if there is no updated medicals. If benefits are suspended, we should be talking to uh, everyone to see what we know about the case, talk to GL, maybe it could uh, push an early settlement, um, early resolution on either side. Labor market attachments, as I just mentioned, this is when the claimant is found to have a less than total disability and um, he is forced to search for work if he if does not perform job searches uh, that are timely and diligent or he refuses light duty work uh, by your insured. 
uh, these are all bases to move for um, a finding of no attachment to labor market, which would suspend the claimant's benefits. Uh, change in medical status. I mean, the claimant could uh, complete uh, conservative treatment, and then he's good to go, return to work. Uh, we rarely see this, unfortunately, with the construction claims. The change in medical status usually is a report by his doctor that he's failed conservative treatment, the injections didn't work, and now he needs surgery. So in comes a surgery request. And importantly, uh, Section 114 finding. This is something we um, we think we should always keep an eye out for. You know, claimants are bringing fraudulent claims. They're making things up. They're you know alleging that body parts were injured when they were not. They're willing to undergo surgeries even when the surgeries are not medically necessary or causal related. So we're always keeping an eye on 114A, uh, potential 114A defenses. And if there's ever a possibility that's going to be raised, we don't even need an actual uh, finding. If it's going to be raised, I think you should be talking to your GL counsel, just letting them know this is what the plan is. So perhaps they can start pushing for settlements on their end, uh, depending on what the 114A issue is, right? If it's surveillance, you can disclose that to your GL um, counterpart. But if there's any other inconsistencies or anything that we're pursuing, you can most certainly uh, share that with your GL counterpart. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the general liability milestones. Um, these are the ones that we pay attention to any notice of any of these that we receive. We talk to the adjuster, call up our uh, GL counterpart, and you know we try to uh, come up with an action plan, maybe they need something, maybe we need something, or maybe uh, on the workers' comp side there's information we can provide to them. So when the complaints or the notice of claim is filed, generally um, if it's a wrap-up program, the wrap-up coordinator or the broker would be the one uh, facilitating the call saying, well, we just got the complaint or the notice of claim in this file. Um, the claimant filed a workers' comp claim. Where are we? What are we doing? What's the action plan? Everyone's in the horn talking about it. The 50H, this is for uh, claims that are being filed against public entities. Um, the notice must be provided within, uh, it, it, it's usually done within 90 days of the notice of claim. This is, um, so for lack of a better term, and if any of my GL folks are watching, please excuse me for butchering this, but it's, it's kind of like a deposition. You're taking the claimant's testimony under oath, or the plaintiff's testimony under oath, and you're getting all information possible regarding not only the accident, but his family, his background, treatment, criminal background, all that stuff. It's, it's pretty much very open, and you can get a lot of information. This 50H transcript can be extremely useful on a workers' comp claim because of the amount of information that your GL Defense Council will be extracting from the claimant. So we've used it in cases where we're contesting not only the claim as a whole, but also additional body parts, maybe add a need for treatment, prior treatment, prior claims. Anything that the claimant may have testified to under oath that we have some kind of contradictory information, we can use that transcript on the workers' comp side. Preliminary conference, if there's one coming up, um, GL counsel is usually able to tell us what's going to be discussed. They want an update in the workers' comp claim so they can discuss that with the judge and the adversaries as well. 
interrogatory and other discovery responses, um, we recommend sharing those with the workers' comp uh, side, letting them know what you have. There's a lot of times I'm on the horn with counsel and they're having a hard time getting some prior records, medical records, or um, accident reports, um, accident records. And generally, we've already subpoenaed those on the workers' comp side. Sometimes we get them sooner than, than other times. We're kind of chasing them. But once we get them, they become part of the workers' compensation file. So once there's a release and we produce the file, if, you know, GL counsel would have that information. But whenever, whenever uh, responses in derogatories or uh, document discovery has been received, your GL attorney should be, you know, saying, hello, workers' comp defense, we got this information, this is what it says, can we talk about it? Uh, IME or other expert reports, um, we like seeing what the IME and the GL side is saying. It's usually more detailed. Um, it, it contains more information from the claimant, um, more detailed recommendations, and we compare it to the ones that we have. Um, to, to see what, what else we need, what is the claimant claiming? Generally, he's claiming, um, you know, more injuries or more, uh, he's, he's making more complaints than we, we anticipate based on the mechanism of injury. So we like to see that inconsistency also and the recommendations by the GL IME. Other expert reports, uh, maybe uh, a vocational rehabilitation report, those are good if it's coming on time for permanency and our ends and we are looking at a case where the claimant's going to be classified and there's going to be an ELWIC finding. Um, those reports, we can produce them, enter them into evidence on the workers' comp side uh, to show the judge that, you know, this expert has examined the claimant and has found that he can be rehabilitated, can return to work, so there's no way he can have an 80% ELWIC like he's claiming on the workers' comp side. Uh, depositions, um, party and non-party depositions, those are always helpful, even if it's for us to peruse the transcript um, to see what the witnesses are saying about the accident and what happened, if it contradicts what the, the claimant is saying, if it contradicts what's going on on the workers' comp site. That's all of the things that we're looking for. Settlement demand, we should always be talking about um, settlement. So if there is a settlement demand, or um, if there's authority on the general liability side, we all should get on because we're generally thinking about a global settlement and there's usually a lien involved and we're talking about a partial lien waiver or a full lien waiver. So all parties should be discussing a potential global resolution, especially for the wrap-up claims. Mediation. Um, you should definitely have your workers' comp attorneys attend the mediation. I've seen a difference. Um, there, there's been a couple of cases they came to us after the mediation's been completed and they're like, this is the settlement. And we're like, oh, yeah, well, you know, these are not the things that really happen in the workers' comp claim. Um, the terms of the settlement are not clear. The workers' compensation uh, attorney's not on board. So it's, it's important to, whenever there's a mediation schedule, to call up your workers' comp defense attorney to get all the facts and the updates on the workers' compensation claim. Otherwise, I think you run the risk of going into the mediation with the claimant's workers' compensation attorney there with them, and they're feeding the mediator a lot of information that's incorrect. So this, is, this one's actually very important when it comes to settlement. Let's talk. Let's all get on the phone and talk together when there's a, uh, even a recommendation for mediation doesn't have to be a set mediation. 
So these are generally the general liability milestones that we are interested in on the workers' compensation side. So whenever you become aware of them, you know, call up your GL counsel and say, hey, can you contact workers' comp and let them know? Or even call up your workers' comp and say, hey, this, these are developments. Can you touch base with GL counsel? And let's have a global call to discuss strategy. Here, okay. Communicating, I think I've been saying this all through, it's, 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 it's key that we communicate. Um, every file review that I go to, I've done a couple recently, and you know, it, it's what the client looks for. They want us to be communicating, they want us to be talking, sharing information uh, you know, to the extent that we can legally, of course. Um, discussing the, implement, uh, the, the implication of the milestones in either side. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad. With workers' comp being so claimant-friendly, a lot of times they're bad, so we're trying to, you know, um, use information from the other side to see how we can strengthen our claim and to contest the claimant's allegations or claims also to reduce our exposure. <clears throat> we should be talking at these milestones to go over um, the value of the claim and potential exposure. Uh, reserves are outside of our expertise, but I... Um, I'm aware that adjusters, insurance carriers, or TPS, they all use the information that their defense attorneys can provide to them regarding the status of the claim, where they see the claim going, potential value of the claim in order to uh, increase or decrease their reserves, whatever they, you know, whatever they need to do. And evaluate the pros and cons of settlements. If we have a really good case, minor injuries, we may not want to entertain settlements. Um, because uh, of, of the potential of prevailing a trial, whether it's a fraud trial or an LWEC trial, for getting, getting, getting a finding of a um, no LWEC, a 0% LWEC. Um, but honestly, in the grand majority of cases uh, for these uh, <clears throat> construction claims, because the plaintiff's bar is so ahead and you know they're all communicating and they know what they want, they know all the things that they need to do, they're communicating with the workers' compensation attorneys, it's, it's, hard to, um, it's hard to settle a case for a low amount a lot of times, especially if they have the medicals to support it. So instead of letting a case just run its course and not do anything, uh, we should be talking about the pros and cons of settlement at every milestone to see if it's worthy um, uh, to, to settle out the claim earlier rather than later so as to reduce your exposure. I mean, we have a handful of claims that we were able to resolve, resolve early because there was interest by the claimants, the claimant's attorney, and we knew that if we let the case, you know, keep on going, it could uh, become a high exposure claim for the client. Uh, truthfully, um, no case gets better over time. Um, so we try to settle them out sooner rather than later, and the global settlement usually what saves the client the most money. So some examples of strategizing when we're talking, um, when GL counsel and workers' comp counsel are on the horn or when, with the client also. Uh, using the initial investigation to contest accidents and the body parts, um, I know Pretty much all of the clients that I work with, as soon as there is an accident, they get their investigator out there within 24 hours, preferably within 12 hours to get all of the information, preserve the evidence, talk to the witnesses, provide us with the witness names. Um, so we need to know when this is happening 
so we can use any information from the initial investigation to contest the claim. We can also use the initial investigation reports to contest body parts a year down the road, believe it or not, because it goes back to where the claimant is gradually adding body parts because his attorney is, you know what he's doing? He is gradually or he is uh, consistently uh, valuing his claim and revaluing his claim based on, you know, the body parts that could be included. And then he's telling his, his claimant, hey, go to the doctor and say your shoulder now hurts. Get the medicals. And that's how they try to build up their claim, right? So um, it, it's, it's really important to have that in initial investigation. So when they're coming a year later, uh, including additional body parts, we can contest it with our investigation materials. Deposition transcripts can also be used to contest body parts, to pursue fraud, um, uh, any consistencies, because it is the doctor's uh, deposition under oath. It is the claimant's deposition under oath on the GL side. Um, so they can be used in evidence um, to, to for, for anything that's contradictory. Fraud findings in the workers' comp claim can also create leverage for settlement. Hey, with a fraud finding, um, the claimant's benefits are being suspended. He's not getting paid anymore, so he might be more inclined to engage in settlement because no matter what, he's not getting indemnity benefits anymore. Collateral estoppel, we're still pursuing collateral estoppel. Um, this is, so this is when there's been a finding in workers' compensation and that, um, that finding can be used in the general liability claim on a particular issue to um, shave out uh, or to, to reduce exposure, I'm sorry. Um, this is something, this is one of the important things that myself and GL Defense Counsel usually talk about. So any findings that we have in court, uh, we should be reporting at the GL Counsel. Now, there is um, a recent bill that's uh, still pending. Uh, they're seeking to remove, uh, pretty much remove collateral estoppel. Um, I think this is just the plaintiff's bar uh, screaming and yelling because we've been so successful so successful in using collateral estoppel to uh, contest some issues in the general liability side, which in turn uh, forces early settlement or low settlement. However, we're not there yet, and we're going to have an action plan for addressing that anyway. So in the meantime, you should be talking about collateral estoppel with your workers' comp and GL defense attorneys. Um, the workers' comp attorneys at the mediation, uh, like I mentioned earlier, can help set the record straight. I think it's very important that uh, the mediator has um, a, a, a good, clear uh, picture of what's going on in the workers' comp claim. One of the things I've seen a lot is claimants going in there saying, well, I need the surgery or the doctor's talking about this particular surgery or this body part got established or wait, there was no fraud finding. And we're able to contest a lot of those things if we're actually sitting there. And, you know, it helps the mediator to, um, to, 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 to facilitate better uh, negotiation or settlement. So I know the mediation is generally on, well, it is on the general liability side and it involves a general liability counsel. But just having your attorney there, or at least talking to your attorney ahead of time, I think it can make an impact in, in ultimate resolution of the claim. All right, so that's it for the milestones. I hope it was painless. I think it was a little longer than I expected, but I think um, I think I think we now have a good idea of the things we should look be looking for on the workers' comp side and the GL side. 
Now, our next, um, let me, oh, let me see if there's any questions first. Oh, no questions. All right, if you think of anything once the webinar has concluded, feel free to give me a call or send me an email, we can talk about it. Now, the next webinar is going to be uh, September 6th. It's gonna be a Tuesday because it's the day after the holiday. Uh, same place, same time, I hope you join me. Uh, tell your peers and your coworkers to join me also. Um, we're going to be talking about global settlements. This is ultimately what we try to do with these complex construction claims, get the global settlements, uh, nip it in the bud early, reduce the exposure for the client. So we'll be talking about what exactly a global settlement is, the pros and cons, and some tips and tricks for negotiating a low, lower global settlement. All right, once again, thank you for joining me. I will see you here next month. Um, Enjoy the rest of uh, the summer, the little bit that's left of it. Stay cool. Take care, everyone.